1: Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Tuesday, November 16th, and I'm your consumer goods host, Emily Flippin. Today, I am joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst, Asit Sharma, and we're going to talk about what is apparently a very controversial company going public by way of a SPAC. It is Nextdoor. Asit, thank you for joining.
0: Emily, thanks for having me. And This is usually the part of the podcast where I come in with a lame pun. But I confess, I really couldn't come up with a good one, so I will have to revert to pop culture and quote the great Mister Rogers and say, "It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood."
1: (laughs) That is great, and honestly, when I think about the name here for Nextdoor, I think they've really hit the nail on the head. Um, It's a name that I think a lot of our viewers, especially if you're a homeowner, you you're probably familiar with it. And I have to say, in our very preliminary research. which was generally just talking with our analyst team about this company I found that there were very divisive opinions on both sides of the fence here some people loved it and other people really hated it and you know, When I reached out to you, Osset, to jump in on this, this podcast, uh, we both agreed, let's not tell each other which side of that fence we fall on. So we have our notes, we have some facts about the business, but we've kept our opinions to ourselves up until this point. So I'm really excited to hear about, I guess, how you feel about Nextdoor.
0: I can't wait to divulge.
1: <laughs> well, to kick it off, Nextdoor describes itself as a hyper-local app that aims to connect residents more closely to their neighborhoods. And I have to say, as an apartment liver myself, I'm not a user of next door. Connecting with my neighborhood honestly sounds like something that I maybe wouldn't want to do. I tend to keep my head down <laughs> when I walk through the hallways. <laughs> so I don't know. I've never used this product myself. But is that an accurate description, Asset?
0: Yeah, you know, Emily, I find it to be basically. I don't want to use the word glorified here because that sounds already like a pejorative, but it, it's like a souped-up listserv. This technology has been around for a long time in various guises. Uh, so many people across the U.S. communicate with their neighbors online through formal and informal networks. Um, this is an app that draws the, all that communication together. I think it is f- pretty functional. It is essentially to me, a, it's a topic posting forum with threaded comments. That's its biggest utility. It's great for safety issues, for organizing volunteer efforts, which the company highlights in its offering materials. Really nice for public service and public safety announcements within your neighborhood. What I think is cool is that it expands the concept of what a neighborhood is. So when you sign up, you put in your information. You find that you're surrounded by other neighborhoods. That's to the advantage of this app, which is trying to monetize you. It's trying to get a big group of people together. I sort of had this vision that I would sign up um, for Nextdoor, which I did, I think, now a couple of years ago. And up and down my street, it'd be like my neighbors. This is the essence of a community listserv. It's sort of like the people that you know anyway. They're very good at broadening. That concept out. So you can start to see, like, the various communities and subdivisions around you, what they're like, what their personalities are. You interact with them. So I have to give them that. Um, company really wants you to use that app. They do have web functionality and email digest. Now I have migrated to become that kind of user, but they're clunky. If you try to use this on the web, it is. Purpose built, I think, to make you want to then install the app because it's harder to monetize you over the web versus that really snazzy app that rests on your phone. I love that it has some uh, nice community building aspects in it the types of volunteer efforts, helping people out, praising neighbors who do well. But, you know, in my experience, it can also be a pretty depressing place. Now, Granted, I'm not a huge user of social media. I am on Twitter. I am on LinkedIn, but not any other platforms. My wife and I joined to find out about an incident in our neighborhood about two years ago. So we heard a lot of gunshots in this very sleepy, quiet neighborhood. And we were curious. My wife said, Well, you know, on Nextdoor, some of my friends are are on that, and you can pretty much find out. People will, will say what's going on. So I did that. What I found is that there are many. Interesting conversations going on on the platform, but they tend to reflect our very polarized society. (laughs) So even well-intentioned conversations can quickly get caustic. Someone says, um, "Oh, you know, I wish that we could change X," and and we all know that the do-gooder profile, someone who's really um, idealistic, conversational start that way go downhill fairly quickly. It often seemed more like middle school to me. There's light cyberbullying. There are thinly veiled racist remarks sometimes, um, and that balances out the so the many feel-good posts that have to do with pets, citing wild animals, you know, in around your neighborhood, praising those kind neighbors. They leave the moderation to community volunteers, which I understand. That seems to be part of the the model. It would be very expensive, I think, for the company to use the same type of moderation that maybe bigger platforms like Metas, Facebook are able to employ with all their cash on their balance sheet. So um, I will I will close this long description of product usage by saying that I have dialed back my usage to just looking at that weekly digest email. I grew tired of it uh, after thinking at the beginning it might be something useful. But one, let me end with something positive. I think it's great for people who are moving from one place to another. So, Emily, if you decide to move out of state and buy a home somewhere, um, maybe go back to Texas, but not where you grew up, or, or just plunge into a new state, this is the kind of thing where you might want to just join up and say, Hey, I'm Emily. I'm glad to meet uh, my neighbors. And you'll see lots of responses coming, people welcoming you. You'll get to learn more about the community. So, it does have that positive aspect about it. <laughs> I, I tried not to give a curmudgeon <laughs> product review there. I'm afraid maybe it, I did come across as curmudgeon
1: <laughs> Well, let me continue this product review, because this is the reason why Nextdoor is so controversial, and I have to say, when I heard that it was going public, uh, my immediate response was a little curmudgeon as well. While I'm not a user, I do have friends and family who use the product, and um, I've heard that the great thing about Nextdoor is that you really do get to know the people in your neighborhood. And the worst thing about Nextdoor is that you really do get to know the people in your neighborhood. And for every great thing that there is about their your neighbors, there's also this element of, you know, we're communicating digitally, right? Not face-to-face. And people have different experiences, different opinions, uh, different personalities. And Nextdoor, by nature of its existence, gives people an opportunity to let them express themselves in whichever way they see fit. And Nextdoor has been so controversial because it's led to a lot of really challenging social dynamics at the community level. I remember they had a feature for a while where people could directly communicate to the police anytime they saw something or they were, had any concerns, where they could press a button and it would, you know. Call the police and let them know. And they had to get rid of that feature because so many people were making calls into the police that were based off of nothing except for, you know, things like race, right? Somebody walking down the street. So it's that sort of concern that I think has really changed the next door experience. Now, that being said, for every friend that I have that comes onto the platform, they also tend to revisit the platform again. And again, so when I'm getting talking to my friends and my family about these challenges that they're experiencing, they're still revisiting the platform day right. after day. And I think that that stands for something.
0: Yeah, I, I think for me, there was a period of doing that. But then I eventually just decided that I there wasn't... Um, enough for me to want to to go back. Um, But having said that, we should probe this business model some. I have a big picture question or two to ask you. Um, So uh, Services that we are uh, talking about include a newsfeed where neighbors can post, Um, you can join groups, you can get recommendations and business reviews, and that is part of uh, the model. Can you describe to us uh, basically uh, anything more about the model and how it was founded?
1: Yes. This is such an interesting company. So, Nextdoor was founded by a big group of friends, I think it was something like nearly half a dozen friends back in 2008. Um, it was actually run by one of these co-founders until 2018, um, when the then-CEO and one of the co-founders, Nirav Tolia, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, um, stepped aside. And I love when you have founder-led companies. I love when you have a really high level of engagement from co-founders. But at the same time, the new management team that they've brought in is actually, for lack of a better word, pretty stacked. Um, the The former CFO of Square, Sarah Fryer, she came in to take over for, for Tolia after his departure. She brought with her a very large number of very highly experienced uh, managers from other amazing businesses. So This is actually maybe a management team that has its site set out to change some of these concerns that we noted about the experience of Nextdoor, and they've certainly been making moves over the past few years.
0: Yeah, I agree, Emily, and it is good to have a team that can execute, that has produced some growth at scale before. That's always good in a business which is going or undergoing a transition period where now it's under the public microscope, this company has come public via SPAC. Needs to keep trying to accelerate and generate profits. So it's good to bring in a seasoned team. And I'll also say it's probably good because Nirav Tolia just seems to have a habit of finding himself in the middle of one controversy after another. Um, not enough time in a short podcast to go into that. You can and look this up online. Uh, and I have no comments, good or bad, to say about that, except that it's a distraction when a company is trying to achieve its strategic goals. So that's probably a plus as well.
1: So we've talked about the experience to this point, and I think that is important. But when I talk to analysts who are very excited about Nextdoor, everybody will point to some of the numbers. So the numbers themselves, I was actually kind of impressed by. Um, Nextdoor has Nextdoor has more than sixty million verified neighbors on it, uh, twenty seven million of which access this app weekly. So really high level engagement, and that coordinates to about uh, correlates to about one in three households in the U.S being active on Nextdoor in some way or form. And I think that's pretty strong. And I think to your point, Asset, if I were to ever make a move, um, I would certainly download Nextdoor and try to get an understanding for the neighbors of the area that I'm moving to. So it has a value. Now, how they monetize that, I think, is probably the biggest question.
0: Yeah. I, I think that... The model that they have set up is a good one so they rely on third-party advertising that is businesses that want to sponsor community or to be more visible. They have uh, some verticals that they target cable is a big advertiser on next door. They have retail as well. so they are presenting themselves as a platform that can draw eyeballs and that's persuasive to advertising audiences. I think with the the way the world is moving towards programmatic advertising, the fact that they have some investment in AI and self-size, self-serve advertising, this could be persuasive in the model as time goes by. I mean, it's going to take uh, uh, some time to see how that trends out. But let me throw this big picture question at you before we talk about the actual engagement. What do you think about a platform business, Emily, that In and of itself, doesn't have a monetizable avenue except for advertising. Uh, What are the pros and cons of that when you look at a business, sort of sight unseen, like this one?
1: You know, I'm actually not completely turned off of it. I love that you asked that question because I can think of a couple examples of businesses that I actually really like that are either entirely ads or vastly majority ad-based businesses. One is actually Pinterest, and I know Pinterest has struggled recently. I'm still very much a fan of that business. And while there's Same. you know questions of, of e-commerce integration, those sorts of things, the core advertising business has always been pretty strong because engagement levels for visitors to the site have always been pretty strong. I also think about Doximity which is not a consumer-facing business, at least not inherently, but it faces towards doctors and it gives pharmaceutical companies an opportunity to advertise towards doctors. So I'm not against the concept. I will say it needs to be uh, carefully executed, which is the platform cannot within itself degrade the experience for the purpose of monetizing through ads. So Doximity, for instance, has a very strict rule. I think it's no more than one in 12 posts that someone will see on their newsfeed will be ads. Um, and that's to ensure that people actually get value from the platform. So Nextdoor, I don't know what Nextdoor does in terms of if they have any sort of those internal limits, but you can only increase monetization so far before you degrade the experience. So they'll need to be careful that they don't overload the site with ads and drive people
0: away. Love all that. I um, like myself to see at least one potential path. It doesn't have to be on the ground today uh, for another avenue of monetization in a platform business. But you know, if you've got the users. And you can bring the engagement, then I say, I can roll with it. I can roll with the advertising only model. Now, speaking of engagement, you had something that caught your eye, and and I also had something on that which uh, I wanted to discuss.
1: One of the the metrics they broke down for us was the active users, the monthly active users engagement over a period of three months, six months, 12 months, and two years. And after the number of users that essentially stayed engaged and it trails off, but it trails from a number of 74% after three months to around 54% after two years, which I think is pretty strong, right? We're talking about the number of clicks they get on a monthly basis from those same users. More than 50% of those people are still visiting monthly after two years. I will say, though, I took these numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt because this data is actually from their 2020 cohorts um, and their two year data is from their 2019 cohort. So while the numbers look pretty Decent, not outstanding, I will say, but pretty decent. Um, I do also think that there is some need for engagement that was perhaps unusual over the course of the last year or so that may not be repeatable again in the future.
0: Yeah, and that need probably was the pandemic. So they have this other metric, which is also interesting. It's called the weekly active user or WAU. We're used to a world of DAUs, (laughs) daily active users. Um, I'm going to read this definition. We define a weekly active user or WAU as a next-door user who opens our application, logs onto our website, or engages with an email with monetizable content at least once during a defined seven-day period. This is such an interesting metric, Emily. It's sort of unusual out in the the wider world, but it makes sense here because you referred to something which is very powerful. That is that you've got friends and family members who will sort of go off the platform, but they keep coming back for more. (laughs) Why is that? It's because of that digest email once a week, I think that you get or maybe a notification if you still unlike me, you still have your your app and you haven't turned your notifications off. This there's something that this company is really good at, and that is being able to give you five or six bulleted threads of high interest to you. I don't know if they're personalizing this or it's just that they've through all of their research and previous data Discern that, hey, you know, one crime in your neighborhood digest, one feel good, let's help the homeless uh, line. There's some combination of, of all of these that makes you sort of want to dive back in. I did that again for like a year after I first had the app, even though it didn't have a lot of utility for me. And I finally gotten to the point where the pain of going back and, and reading. Like you and I have described, this balance of of good and and not so fun comments is that pain is just too high now. I have a high threshold, but I admire the way they can get you at least once a week to think about the app and potentially dive back in. So it's an important metric for them. Uh, WAUs really started to just snowball during the pandemic. Their total WAUs in 2020 were 27.6 million um, versus less than 20 million in 2019. Of course, I wonder if this is a really great metric for engagement because by this definition, me just checking an email once a week, I'm a weekly active user, but they're not going to monetize me anytime soon. Uh, I also want to point out a couple of risks to uh, the metric and the uh, risk for investors to try to understand how they're monetizing in that Apple changed Uh, made some changes to their iOS email client, and also down the road we've heard that Alphabet is going to make changes to Google's cookies and its Chrome browser. These types of moves hurt both the company's ability to measure how users are interacting, but also to get important data that they can use uh, to make that platform more effective. But this is not something that's a risk only to Nextdoor. Many companies are are grappling with these changes uh, among the big walled garden companies.
1: I think it's interesting the kind of network effects that exist with Nextdoor as well. And I'm not sure it quite shows up in their numbers yet, but I can see a situation in which it does, which is as they increase the amount of penetration within neighborhoods. So as more Neighbors come onto the platform, the percentage of engagement from those other existing neighbors tends to increase. So, essentially, you know, as more neighbors join, there's an increase in engagement, which shows an aspect of kind of community building that exists on the platform, which I think could potentially increase their monetization long term. I will say the financials as they exist right now, I'd probably describe as challenging. You mentioned that. It's hard to monetize you, right? You're checking a digest email, even if there's some ads or some existence of, you know, a local payment or engagement in that that digest. It's really hard to actually make you just as a casual reader monetizable, and that shows up in their revenue per average daily user, which is only $10 over the course of the past year, and they only have around 12 million daily active users. So that does trail off significantly from those people that are engaging less. It's less than a lot of the other social media businesses that we're accustomed to looking at. Uh, So, it's something to keep an eye on and obviously, as I think a lot of people may assume, with uh, monetization at such a low rate, this is not a profitable business either. Uh, So, something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. The engagement metrics are really attractive and they give me pause because it's hard to see this sometimes when you look at a business that's just come public Uh, via IPO or SPAC or direct listing, we have a tendency as human investors to visualize everything that's come up until this point and then extrapolate it with not a lot of accuracy. And sometimes platform businesses take a few years to hit their stride. Uh, Emily, we've talked about pet platform businesses that I I find immensely interesting, haven't really um, jumped in and invested in one yet, but I can see with that growing trend how it could in a few years, um, like we looked at a couple, could be a very persuasive uh, place to invest. And this is something that I think one should pay attention to with Nextdoor that they've got, even at that, if you take 11 or 12 active, engaged users on a daily basis and figure out how to draw a little bit more out of them, uh, that starts to make those unit economics look not so poor. Um, so, this is something that. I was pleasantly surprised to see as I read through the 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 company's um, offering materials. Oh, it's funny so, how we
1: had different God. reads there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you've included some just I think summaries from their investor presentation here. I'm looking at them right now. Uh, not profitable on a book basis, and not even on an. EBITDA basis, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, not profitable on an adjusted EBITDA basis where you can sort of put your own take on what adjusted earnings should look like. Um, having said that, it does look like the company has a little bit, you know, just maybe a little bit of traction um, in the cards. Their net loss for 2021 estimated net loss is about the same for what they estimate out to fiscal 2022 that's 103 million dollar net loss per gap so the model itself while it's losing money at least it looks like it might be stable in the next year or two which you know begs the question how then do, does this company generate some more momentum on that top line to start looking like something where you're pulled to invest in it I don't know if you had any other observations on that uh, on those income statements.
1: Yeah, it's a great point, and I will say this is a business that I believe um, is trading or valued at something like five billion dollars right now um, as we're taping pretty lofty valuation for a business that has done just over $120 million in total revenue and is not projecting profitability at any point really over the the near horizon. Long-term, they hope to get to adjusted EBITDA margins of around 40%, which is certainly not bad, but it's a little low, I think, for what I was expecting, which is, this is a platform business, right? So, it should be kind of uh, asset light not too capital intensive but long term adjusted EBITDA margins of 40% and when i look at how they're projecting out how they're going to grow that average revenue per user i mentioned it was $10 per user for the people who are visiting daily for the people who are just visiting actively right so that's including yourself uh, who just checks emails asset that number is just under $5 and their projections have that growing pretty significantly in 2021 but then pulling back in 2022 i wish i had a more cohesive I guess plan for how they're going to increase the, the monetization rate. They talk a little bit about things like sponsored posts, local ads, local deals from from you know local stores, that sort of thing. Uh, it's very hyper local. Potentially getting people expanded into other neighborhoods. So expanding into neighborhoods where maybe your parents live or your friends live, where you want to buy a house. So there's other ways they could do it. I just this. This being a SPAC business means that we don't have necessarily all of that great information that we want. So, for that reason, when I'm looking at $5 billion with no sign of profitability, even on an adjusted basis over the next couple of years, um, as well as maybe a challenging growth in average revenue per user, I find myself wanting to sit on the sidelines a bit.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one of those pet platforms we looked at, the Rover group, I believe they were generating estimated to generate like five to six hundred million dollars in annual revenue and that's a two and a half three billion dollar business, which I think has some really interesting opportunities for monetization. They have like four or five avenues uh, so that is something that i I lean toward in intuitively as an investor versus something like this where I have to myself come up with this scenario for how they're going to monetize. I like management to tell, tell me, okay, we're losing money. <laughs> We've got lots of users though. They're engaged. And here's how we're going to monetize them. No ifs, ands, or buts over the future. And, and I think you have your uh, finger on something, Emily, that it was a little more amorphous in how the company is projecting that path. So now I'm going to take a Zen moment here. And Asset the their curmudgeony product user is gonna go away. And Asset the Objective Analyst will be with you all <laughs> within two seconds or, or more, because I want Emily to go first. Tell me what you thought about this business. I think you sort of gave it away in the last couple of minutes.
1: I did. I, I will say when I heard about this business, I was one of those analysts that was pretty negative right off the bat. It was not as bad as I expected it to be, but I think the valuation is what kills it for me. But after last night, I found out my car got broken into, and then I got I let my apartment complex know, and they told me, "Yeah, sorry about that. There's been a string of these things happening, right?" And I'm thinking to myself, "Man, if I had just downloaded the Nextdoor app, I would have been a smart cookie." and kept my doors locked instead of being a lazy cookie and leaving them unlocked. So for that reason alone, I'm not sure if I'm buying the stock, but I'm probably gonna be downloading the app. <laughs>
0: That's so funny. I um, have come you know, the complete other way in my experience. <laughs> I think it is useful for that. And I started with just that uh, when we heard those gunshots in our sleepy neighborhood. And I so wanted to be able to to score some points with listeners and say, hey, despite my ideas about this product, I th- I think it's a great company to invest in. I can separate the two, but at the end of the day, I really wasn't able to separate my assessment of the, the product and its utility and the way they uh, operate it from my you know natural skepticism about the business model. So I remain not uh, a big fan of this company up front. I'll I'll probably check in with it, uh, you know every. Um, Quarter, a couple of quarters or so, but that's not to say the company can't succeed. And so many other businesses have proven us wrong, Emily.
1: I was going to say, oh let's, no, we, whenever we that. agree, the stock ends up fifty percent, you know, up over the next two months. So you heard it here first.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, go out and buy you some stock, right?
1: <laughs> well, Asad, awesome. thank you as always for joining. It was such fun today.
0: Same here. Thanks so much, Emily.
1: Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out to say hey, shoot us an email at fool.com or tweet at us at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For at Sharma, I'm Emily Flippin. thanks for listening and Fool on!